0: You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at NORI, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change.
1: Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast. I'm Ross Kenyon. Today I have with me Dr. Will Shrubar, Assistant Professor of Architectural Engineering and Materials Science at University of Colorado Boulder, Technical Director of Materials R&D at Katera, and Co-Chair of the Carbon Leadership Forum Network and you also serve as the global hub director. Do you have much free time,
0: Will? <laughs> I do get enough sleep
1: um, occasionally. <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Well, a colleague of mine passed me your article at the conversation called Buildings Grown by Bacteria. New research is finding ways to turn cells into mini factories for materials. Naturally, this caught my attention. Um, I imagine someone listening has never heard anything quite like this unless they're already plugged into this space. So what is happening with material science? What inspires you to write this? What is going on?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think, it, I think it's a, an interesting, um, uh, thought-provoking proposal. Uh, but a little bit about me, I grew up on the plains of Southeast Texas on a cotton farm and cattle ranch. And to me, um, you know, going outside, living on a farm, everything was very much alive. And I remember uh, driving into the city, uh, the big city of Houston to go to baseball games at the Astrodome with my dad. And first being in awe that humans could build such structures. Uh, it's what really inspired me to become a structural engineer. Uh, but I realized that when you, when you go into the city, um, everything is quite sterile and quite static. And what is human, you know, is human, and then what is the natural world is really kind of separated from that. Um, You know, you can kind of think of stark contrasts like Central Park, for example, where you have this green space um, that is really nature um, separated uh, away from from what it what is human. Um, And in that human space, the built environment, you have materials like concrete, glass and steel um that again are, are are quite sterile static very much not alive and you know growing up on the farm and and being the generation that urbanized into cities, I really found a lot of inspiration in 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 that um, really in blurring the boundaries between between what is natural and what is built and so throughout my career I've Really dove into concepts related to sustainability in the built environment, understanding um, uh, environmental impacts of building materials, um, certainly energy consumption, certainly embodied carbon. Um, but really, in my in my academic research, we toy with this these ideas of of bringing buildings to life um, and really truly blurring those boundaries.
1: Why would you want a building to be alive or to blur to the distinctions between the organic and the the built or the human created? Why would one even want to do that?
0: There's certainly uh, great research. Uh, there's certainly great research that shows the benefits of biophilia. And you know, right now, even today, um, we're incorporating more and more biomaterials into the built environment. And the greatest example that I can give you right now um, is some pioneering work uh, that has come out of Europe and, and into the United States um, and that's building with mass timber. And so now we are able um, to build large-scale structural systems um, out of, out of biomaterials. And there are certainly perceived um, benefits uh, for, for building with natural materials, being exposed uh, to uh, more natural environments, even though you are indoors. Um, and that just leads to occupant uh, productivity, occupant comfort, um, feelings of of wellness, um, well being, and and even in office buildings, you know, there's 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 documented evidence that shows people people are out sick less um, if they are in a building that has incorporated a lot of biophilia, and um, certainly uh, you know that that is that, that's uh, certainly an attractive um, a quality of, of those materials. Um, you know what what my work does is is take take it one step further um, and and say okay. Um, we know that that wood uh, is a biomaterial. It w- was once alive, um, but what we do with wood is we do take it out of the forest and we store that carbon uh, for a long period of time. Um, and you know what? What we're trying to ask is, well, perhaps there could be organisms that are uh, that are kept alive um, uh, that make materials for us that are put into buildings and that could serve some some useful functions uh while while in while in use
1: okay that makes sense i'm very curious to hear more about this uh, biophilia angle something that i've noticed that's related in seattle is that the lot sizes are not always super big so people have to maximize spaces but the way that they do this feels um very much uh, out of sync with the neighborhood and the rest of the houses on it like you'll often see houses that are, I've seen some that are like Cape Cods that they've added an extra story to or a giant modern farmhouse that is, you know, a story or two grander than much of these like very old Tudor style homes or craftsmen <laughs> that are supposed to blend in and blend in, in the same way. Like I grew up very close to Taliesin West in Arizona. I remember mm-hmm. going and seeing Frank Lloyd Wright's uh, a home and school there and being really impressed with the Prairie School aesthetic of, trying to not dominate the environment that you're in, but to sort of blend in almost. And biophilia is maybe another way of going towards having a well-integrated living space. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I halfway onto something here?
0: You are. I mean, you're toying with concepts. Uh, you know, you're kind of uh, talking about uh, disappearing buildings and how, how buildings can kind of disappear into, into the natural environment. That's exactly what, um what, what, uh, Know, biophilia tries to do and, and and certainly um what what i believe should be uh really the a primary goal of 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 modern architecture is um but again that's that's my perspective and my my opinion certainly there are others
1: yeah is there anyone who just uh defends just like high modernism or brutalism and that's just what they they, <laughs> they love concrete and like th- those guys are out there they have to be right
0: well, it, I, you know, I think that's my evil twin because I also share a, a huge passion uh, for concrete. I think it's a it's a ex- exceptional material. It has so many benefits. Um, you know, no other material is is uh, moldable, formable, um, as durable. Um, but you know, or or you know, no other material is used more in the world uh, than than concrete. Uh, so, concrete, as we know it, is the second most consumed material on earth after water. It has shaped humanity uh, as we know it. Um, but really, what um, there are consequences to its ubiquity. So concrete, um, as many of, uh, of your listeners may know, concrete um, is, a, is a huge carbon emitter. Um, up to 8% of our global CO2 emissions can be attributed to cement and concrete manufacture, use um, and, and disposal. Uh, so it's a it's a pretty gnarly thorn for the construction industry. Um, but you know, I I have this love hate relationship with concrete, um, because it is such a such a wonderful material.
1: Are there ways to uh, improve concrete? Well, we've done some episodes on on actually how to make it um, uh, less emitting than conventional mm-hmm. ways of producing mm-hmm. it. But is there also ways to make it aesthetically closer to this biophilic vision that we're having in other types of materials in the built environment? Is anything happening like that or is that still very far away?
0: Yeah, well, there are these really great examples of these undulating forms and hyperbolic shapes. Um, There's some architects a few decades ago that were uh, playing around with this in in Mexico and in some parts of Spain. Uh, Santiago Calatrava's structures certainly speak to a more uh, organic form. Um, the problem with those forms, though, is that it's actually quite expensive um, to get concrete in those types of shapes um, and in in those shapes in that size. Um, that's why the promise of three d printing is so yeah, three d printing is so appealing uh, for folks who who know and love concrete uh, because you can you can make those um, those forms and shapes uh, much more much more economically. Uh, right now the development of the 3d printing technology with concrete though is such that um, we're not yet able to realize uh, all of those benefits quite yet um, I think we're kind of in the in uh, in in the in the trough of disappointment uh, right now with, with 3d printing but I expect that in the next 10 years um, there'll be a few breakthrough technologies that will enable us to uh, build biophilic forms um, Uh, economically uh, out of concrete.
1: Every so often I'll see amazing prototypes or people who printed a house and I I imagine this (laughs) sort of uh, 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 like somewhat egalitarian open source future where you're downloading CAD designs and then printing your house based on modular units that you can attach together and also the possibilities of um, basically, starting from scratch to uh, reusing that material and, and redoing your house in a very simple way. This is definitely very science fiction. Is that a possibility within my lifetime that I could just be redoing my house and redoing it based on 3D printing?
0: I I would say yes. Um, less so out of concrete, but possibly more, more so out of different materials like earth, like rammed earth uh, earthen structures that would possibly be a little bit easier to recycle and reuse. Um, the problem right now with, with 3d printing of concrete is that you need, um, first off, not very many people are 3d printing with, with actual concrete, they're printing with cement paste, which is a lot of cement and some water, uh, and, and you probably know from previous podcasts that cement is the culprit in terms of carbon emissions. Um, so, you know, per, per volume, uh, 3D printing, uh, a 3D printed concrete uh, is, is certainly more uh, environmentally unfriendly uh, than, than, say, um, just a regular um, volume of concrete. Uh, but, you know, the, if you kind of take a look at Rand earth construction and how it's constructed, um, it's almost as if it's 3D printed by hand already. Uh, you know, you have these forms in which earth is placed in between the forms, and it's tamped, and slowly, layer by layer, uh, the the rammed earth structure, um, you know, rises rises from the ground. It's a lot like slip form construction uh, for high rise buildings um, and and concrete, but but it's it's really made out of earth. Um, so, uh, you know, those those structures, I believe, are a little bit more recyclable, reusable. Um, and so I, I I think you're onto something with, with with uh thinking about the possibilities of of drawing up um you know in, in CAD or some 3D modeling software what you want your, your next house to be. Um and so instead of just remodeling with furniture, um you're remodeling the entire structure uh and 3D printing with more ma- with materials that are that are uh, recyclable and reusable like like Earth.
1: Yeah, I love that idea. OK, well, Rammed Earth sounds so there's this somewhat of a spectrum with past orientation and maybe future orientation and some of these actually living uh, almost bacterial buildings. That's not good branding. Don't use that, by the way, not, not bacterial <laughs> buildings. But, but so, yeah, you have Rammed Earth, which sounds low tech and old school. And then also uh, I see that a place in Japan. One, well, I think this came up on Kate Simonin or Andrew Himes's episode, but it was uh, a form of Adobe basically that had, was a straw and mud construction, something like that. And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. very cool and, and low tech, but also apparently the heating and cooling properties of it worked very well um, that we, I don't know that we have created something out of our heads that has worked better than that in some cases. Um, so those are all part of this biophilic kind of space that is experiencing a resurgence. And you're on this cutting edge trying to say, actually there's a lot more we can do. Is that kind of right?
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I really do think that the building industry will be returning to some what we would consider primitive forms of construction like Adobe um, and utilizing uh, more agricultural products, um, agricultural wastes um, like straw and and hemp fiber um, and other types of, of uh, biomass waste that would normally just compost uh, out in the field or, or incinerated for some biomass, um, energy. Uh, I I really do see us, uh, returning to those, uh, because, um, and we can get into talking about the carbon footprint. Um, but what we would, what the challenge is, is making those low-tech materials modern and high-tech. And, and I think that that's, that's a, um, that is something, um, kind of a grand opportunity and a grand challenge for material scientists like me and, and like others who are, again, trying to to find new and creative ways of lowering um, the carbon footprint of the built environment and transitioning it from a carbon the industry, the construction industry, from a carbon emitter into a carbon sink. Um, my work at the university, and at why I'll say you know folks who are, are who are in the industry today, you know the 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 Kateras of the world who have sought have um, you know we see much promise in in mass timber. Um, and utilizing more biofiber uh, in construction um, so it, it is already becoming a reality um, what my academic research does on the other hand is try to get people to see beyond uh, the primitive materials uh, so that we land somewhere in 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 the middle right um, you know I, I i think that we have a lot of uh, provocative examples of using photosynthetic bacteria and algae um, as starting precursors to make materials uh, that really grow the materials for us. Um, and while those solutions I think are, are you know, decades away, um, I, I'm hoping to nudge the industry in the direction of, of using other biomass um, that's that's perhaps non-living uh, anymore uh, uh, and, and infusing that waste uh, you're using that waste product as a starting precursor for materials, um, in construction, um, today and, and even tomorrow.
1: Mm. How do you take, uh, you know, quote unquote, primitive building materials and modernize them? What, like how would you modernize Adobe? I imagine people must be working on stuff like this.
0: Yeah, they, they are, but you know, what's really lacking right now in the, in the field are engineering codes and standards, um, really good technical data, uh, predictable, uh, productized, uh, materials that have repeatable, consistent properties. Um, and so it is a, it is a gnarly, wicked problem that, that spans, um, material science, structural engineering, codes and standards, policies, um, you know, lawmaking, all of that, um, you know, really, to get a new a new material in, into practice in the construction industry, I mean, it takes an army, um, and it and it takes multiple. Uh, um, I, I, you know, it's kind of a Swiss Army knife, really. Uh, you know, multiple tools to to unlock the potential. But I really do think what we're seeing right now um, in the carbon space, uh, you know, the Bay Area. Uh, low carbon concrete code, Uh, the city of Portland just adopted a low carbon concrete procurement uh, uh, policy, the buy clean uh, bills in California and and Washington. I really do think that the policy uh, levers are being pulled. um, And it's really the right time for material science and engineering and and codes uh, to all come together to to see this massive infusion of of new high tech, uh, low uh, impact materials in, in construction.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have expected it to go that direction, but that makes sense. And I also imagine that insurers probably play a pretty big role in this too. Certainly.
0: Uh, you know, I, I had a few conversations with some folks um, in the, the insurance space and, um, you know, we, we certainly do need, um Examples, uh, you know, we we do need prototypes. We need projects that, um, you know, not necessarily take take on the risk, uh, but you know, de-risk the technology. Uh, uh, you know, we we need we need folks to help de-risk a lot of the technologies um, because you're absolutely right. You know, the insurance folks are something. <clears throat> the insurance space is something that uh, uh, is 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 watching us as well, and and that will they'll ultimately need to be convinced. Um, otherwise, it'll be a no-go um, from a client perspective with using some of these new materials.
1: Okay, I keep getting distracted because this entire topic is fascinating. Um, but we should really talk about this original article. Maybe you could just lay it out. And I'll, I swear I'll try not to interrupt and take us down any uh, uh, rabbit hole <laughs> for now.
0: <laughs> the article that I wrote for The Conversation really compared buildings to, to to human bodies, uh, right? So you have the structure, um, which is the skeleton, you have a skin that regulates temperature and, and humidity. Um, and buildings generate waste and, and they're wired, you know, just like just like human bodies are. Um, but unlike human bodies, buildings don't grow, they don't regenerate, they don't self heal. Um, and, and you know, for for someone who really wants to blur the boundaries uh, between the built environment and the natural world, um, you know, this this kind of introduces a lot of what if what if questions. Um, so, what if the walls and floors and and the roofs of buildings were alive and actually grown on site, and and perhaps you know, what if, what if we were able to keep those materials alive um, so that they can interact with us, they can interact with the environment they can help us regulate temperature humidity they can signal to us when perhaps there's a virus or, a, or something toxic in in the air um, and you know I, I really do think with with some of the foundational research going on at, at, at universities um, my in my lab included um, you know we're a lot closer than than one might think uh, what's particularly exciting is that there are there are organisms that make materials. Uh, so if you kind of think about, um, certainly there are plants that make cellulose, cellulosic materials, um, you know, trees and uh, hemp and, and bamboo, you know, certainly that, that is true uh, for plants. And, and we're very accustomed to, to using those materials um, in, in construction, uh, but there are also other microorganisms like bacteria and, and uh, fungi who make, um, that make materials uh, that we could potentially use in construction as well. The best example I can give is um, cyanobacteria, marine cyanobacteria, that make these wonderful limestone, uh, have these massive limestone deposits um, uh, that, that, called stromatolites, uh, that are kind of grown, uh, you know, kind of grown out of just precipitated minerals, just tiny little mineral by mineral, uh, by, by these marine cyanobacteria, which are photosynthetic, and it grows this massive rigid structure, which is not unlike uh, a concrete structure. And the beautiful thing about, about bacteria is that uh, with the onset of synthetic biology and, and, and the toolkits that have evolved from that field, we are now able to decode the DNA of those organisms, understand which genes are involved in making the materials, how they ma- make the materials. Um, we can manipulate the genes uh, to make and architect different shaped materials uh, of different sizes. You know, This is some of the work that, that has been going on um, in my lab in, in collaboration with a bunch of talented uh, researchers uh, at the University of Colorado. Um, we've shown that we've been able to uh, basically encode the blueprint of, of, of a mineral right into the DNA of, uh, of bacteria, um, and while that's on a very very small scale, um, if you extrapolate that um, to, to the macroscopic scale, um, you know, getting to using you know getting uh, to this concept of using bacteria to make other different types of materials for buildings. Um, having them uh retain some uh living functionality in buildings, you know we're we're really not we're really not that far off.
1: Oh there's so many angles. That's wild. And then I know cyanobacteria, those exhale oxygen, right? So you would probably have a nice working and living space that's oxygen rich.
0: <laughs> it's really important uh for for me and and my my research team, um, to use photosynthetic organisms and 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 so cyanobacteria are are on the top of our list of um, organisms that we think haven't been fully exploited uh, in the carbon capture carbon storage space as much as they could be. Um, certainly, you know there are these large scale cultivation ponds of of algae which are just you know basically. Um, uh, you know, cyanobacterial cousins, uh, microalgae, um, and, and other types of algae that are certainly grown for, for biofuel production and even some other food products, um, cosmetics, et cetera, pharmaceuticals. Uh, but you know, we're really the first group to be asking questions uh, like: how can large-scale cultivation of algae produce building materials? How can we leverage photosynthetic organisms? That are so fast in growing and fixing carbon dioxide right into their biomass. Um, how can we use that carbon-negative process uh, to produce a, a material uh, that is suitable for use for use in construction? Um, so that's why you know photosynthesis um, in general, especially rapid uh, rapidly grown materials, um, leveraging photosynthesis is really really key. Um, to the carbon capture and storage uh, solution space uh, in the construction industry. And, you know, people don't normally go beyond thinking about trees growing in a forest. You know, trees are really slow growing. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer that we cannot rely solely on woody biomass uh, grown in the forest. We have to turn to rapidly grown photosynthetic um, organisms and plants like algae, uh, like, cyanobacteria like hemp, uh, straw grasses. Um, and if we allow that biomass to grow, fix the carbon dioxide, and if we can encapsulate it, keep it encapsulated, uh, for long periods of time. Well, I really do think that that's the, the primary strategy, um, by which we can turn the built environment, uh, into a carbon sink.
1: Yeah. I love this. It's so intriguing. So um, there's a vision of, of housing and buildings that is in the near future, which is sort of like everyone has a nest and a ring and everything can be controlled by your smartphone and, and your house is interactive in a digital capacity. But then you've taken this about 10 steps further and you're talking about programming new types of, of uh, microscopic life that builds and uh, retains its own integrity and that have been designed for specific functions such that everything has been I don't know you've altered the shape of of life uh, in, a, in a very controlled way for an entire building is that is that what you're trying to do is that the goal
0: yeah I think you know I think people people think of buildings of the future as being super uh, electrified and and uh, you know having these interactive wallpapers that um, that sense your that sense that you're in the room and it's kind of like a you know big touch screen, uh, but you know yeah I I actually think that those could be bacterial cells uh, that are that are transmitting electrons to and from each other. There are bacterial um, uh, communities that do this uh, that are electrically conductive, and uh, certainly there 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 a myriad of organisms that that light up um, uh, uh, you know upon a uh, receiving some sort of stimulus, whether that be pH or light or or humidity um, or carbon dioxide, uh, they'll, they'll change colors. Um, lichen, for example, lichen, you know, lichen that you see going on hikes um, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, some species of lichen will change color um, if there are elevated levels of of uh, of CO2 or other, other toxic uh, chemicals in, in the air. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just a matter of engineering those systems, uh, those biological systems um, to be, um, uh, to exhibit those functionalities in a very controlled, a very controlled way. Um, the other thing I'll mention is that, you know, the DNA of organisms, you know, folks are kind of looking in, at, at DNA as a way of, of uh, permanent storage um, instead of data centers. Uh, you know, we kind of think we need to keep building silicon chips over and over and over again. But we could um, actually grow, grow some organisms that, that store a lot more information um, right in their DNA strand. Um, and those sequences, um, you know would, would be that, that decoding mechanism um, you, know, to, pull, to pull your old pictures uh, out from, out from college and, and, and to look at them. Uh, so there's, there's, there's some really creative folks uh, thinking about this. Um, and yes, again, it, it's a little bit uh, science fictiony. But, but I see, I see the clear, the clear links in the chain. So the ivory tower isn't, isn't that high.
1: Yeah. I have two comments. One of which is kind of silly, which is, this reminds me, there's a dystopic version of this. That's basically Akira. I don't know. Have you seen that old Japanese film?
0: (laughs) I I haven't, but I've had a few colleagues. Okay. So I'm not
1: alone in thinking that basically yeah, an organism that absorbs everything and just grows and grows and is out of control. But that's the that's silly one. And then I have uh, a facile one, which I will maintain there's a distinction between these two words <laughs> that I've used. Um, but uh, like uh, a cliche 30-something that I am, I've been brewing a lot of kombucha uh, lately. Mm-hmm. My, my kombucha mm-hmm. bills were just too high. And so the scobies, like the, the fungal matter that, that grows on the top of a batch, um, you reuse those, but they only last, I think, uh, between five and 10 batches. Um, how do you make it so that your walls don't die and have to be replaced, or how do you how do you have a system that is <laughs> continuous and doesn't require intervention or do do all these systems do you just have contractors in the future who are biochemists who come by? <laughs> <laughs> i
0: I think the sky's the limit with the, with the imagination. you know what what's what's interesting you you, you bring up the point that eventually uh, you know your kombucha starter eventually dies. Um, I usually get the question of, well, what happens when um, you know my house becomes a skyscraper? You know that it just keeps growing and growing and growing, um, and and becomes um, you know kind of the blob uh, and and takes over the world. And and I, I go back to the to exactly your your last point, the fundamental biochemistry. If we um, if we understand the the limits of growth and the conditions of growth of of certain microorganisms, then we can control it. Um, so, for example, you know, we put food in the refrigerator, we put, put yogurt in the refrigerator, it's in a lot, it's a living thing, uh, but we put it in the fridge because we want to keep the bacterial metabolisms um, at bay. Um, so that trigger of temperature, keeping it cold, um, doesn't allow the bacteria to keep growing and even producing um, gas as a production, and, you know, that's produced as, by breaking down the lactose um, in, in the milk. Um, so the same is true for the materials we work on uh, in the lab. We understand the right levels of humidity and temperature and moisture that would trigger bacterial growth. And on the other end of the spectrum, spectrum trigger its dormancy um, or hibernation. And, you know, in the, in, when we think about um, future applications, Uh, There could be microfluidics and microenvironments that trigger uh, very localized activities of different bacteria in much the same way that we would wire a television. We have little um, LED uh, light bulbs that must be wired everywhere, um, providing just the right nutrients and just the right uh, conditions for the bacteria to be switched on or off, uh, depending on, on what we would like them to do.
1: Fascinating. So uh, I'm going to continue in the similar cliche vein where I've also been making sauerkraut and kimchi. Like, I really, (laughs) I really wish I could claim I started doing it before COVID, but like everyone else, I I got really into it. But um, a lot of this is supposed to be anaerobic and not exposed to oxygen. So how do you, there must just be different types of organisms that um, are, uh, because I think when it's, when it is aerobic, there's a risk of bad mold. Uh, becoming present, but that isn't really a risk with the types of microorganisms you're working with, no.
0: Uh, certainly, there 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 always is. Um, there's always um, some contamination issues that we have to 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 think about. Um, you know, I equate the materials that we work on um, uh, to a lot like you know to bring more food into into the picture. I I, I need a snack. I think yeah, me too. it's, it's uh, about snack time. Um, it's a lot like a a sourdough starter culture if you can think of it that way, Um, where, you know, our our material starter cultures are such that, um, you know, we grow up a dense culture of bacteria. Uh, We enable those bacteria to to glue our sand particles together by the the minerals and the polymers that they secrete. Um, But then we can control, uh, we can stop the the growth of those bacteria. Um, What we showed in a paper a couple months ago is that uh, if we make a, what we call a parent generation, it's like your sourdough starter culture, uh, we can actually split a parent generation brick, we can actually split that brick into two and using the same starter culture that's already existing in the brick, those two halves will grow into two full bricks. And we, we completed that process two subsequent times. Um, so we made eight full bricks out of one uh, parent starter culture. For example, um, it's just like how sourdough keeps spawning, you know, generations uh, at an exponential scale. If you share it with your friends, um, you know, exponential uh, numbers of of, of children. Uh, but you know, to your point, it's really important for us since we are working with with aerobic bacteria that uh, we again control the conditions uh, during manufacturing and storage. Um, we impart some antimicrobial. Um, uh, uh, abilities to the to the materials um, so that no other organisms can can cross contaminate um, so it all goes back to that that microbiology and, and and biochemistry and understanding really the rules of the of the game
1: got it okay that makes sense will since I have you here could I ask you some questions about uh, architecture and architectural trends
0: yeah absolutely so
1: uh, how long do you think is this uh, sort of like, mm, I don't even know how you describe it. This like obsession with open space and minimalism going to last. I sort of, I'm craving like a return to the arts and crafts kind of, kind of moment. Like, where do, where do you think, what's happening next? Like, when are we going to get over this uh, moment that we're in now? Where do you think we're going to go?
0: You know, I, I, this, this exact uh, question crossed my mind yesterday when I was walking, um, when I was walking my dog, because uh, we, we have a house in Boulder and Boulder is actually a, you know, a relatively low, low dense, um, low density community. And I was thinking about urban centers and how over the last two to three decades, we have been fighting for densification, densification, densification. And in reality, um, the reality we're in now uh, that poses a, a lot of threats. And so, I do think right now there, um, there is some, uh, there's a confluence of, of, of different ideas of, of wanting to make sure our cities are dense, wanting to give access to um, kind of, you know, open space and parks and, and even again, blurring these boundaries uh, between, between nature and, and what is natural and what is human. Uh, but I think a lot of this is going to be called into question. I think I would have had a different answer for you six months ago. Um, than, than what I do today, uh, because I think we're going to be taking a, a more critical look at, at office space um, and, and densification and, and, you know, what that, what that really means um, uh, for cities of the future.
1: Yeah, one thing I, I've noticed too is um, Seattle, okay, I live in Ballard, that's where Nori's office is, and Ballard is a, a Scandinavian, historically a Scandinavian neighborhood, fishing neighborhood. Um, and you'll see apartment buildings that have names that are clearly a uh, Norwegian, um, but the, they're not made in a Pacific Northwest vernacular. They, they could be literally any apartment building from any big city in the entire world. And so um, but I know people want to get back to using local materials. So you mentioned uh, Katera and cross-laminated timber and using products that are closer to home. Uh, Seattle, I would like to see a lot more wood buildings. Um, I would like to see us uh, get away from one size fits all. We all have the same house uh, independent of which continent we live on. Uh, There are benefits to standardization, but I think it's uh, a bit soul killing too.
0: There's certainly, there's a concept that I, that I try to um, to get across in in virtually every conversation I have related to, to building materials and, and kind of the vernacular. And that's, really embracing the surrounding rural communities as the localized um, bread basket, if you will, uh, for fibrous materials that are low impact, low carbon uh, that, that, that need to be embraced by every, uh, every municipality. So, you know, Seattle, for example, yes, wood is very much um, in the DNA of, of the region. But there are also, uh, again, you know, some farming communities, some agricultural spaces that have um, uh, that have up uh, for offer uh, some some biomass that could be turned into high-performance building materials, um, and and so I think, you know, I I, I do think um, it's interesting because folks have traveled the world quite extensively; they've come into contact with different styles. Um, and in different forms of, of architecture, but when I really do think about cities of the future, I really do think of them as as regional, uh, a regional nexus um, that that is much more of the place. Uh, and and I think we're seeing that a little bit a little bit now with with COVID. Is I haven't I haven't even thought about le- live um, leaving the Front Range of Colorado, and I'm really looking to this region as as Really, the extent of my uh, of my of my reach in terms of resources, and I think that that's just going to occur on a slightly larger scale um, when cities start to think about supply chain uh, sustainability of those supply chains um, and materials for for construction and uh, our architectural gems of the future will not be excluded from that.
1: Well, I hope you are right. At least it would make for um more interesting dog walking experiences. Uh, I mean, (laughs) mean, the the way that you've chosen to live your life and the profession that you've selected for yourself, clearly you think architecture and creating spaces is uh, a key part of our experience that is interacted with so regularly to be worth a lifetime of labor. Um, Why do you think that is? I think a lot of people take architecture for granted and maybe don't notice it as much as they should. Um, w well, what do you think about that? How, how could they learn more or dive into this in greater detail, both as someone who may at some point like to own a home, but also as someone who wants to nerd out on this science, like we're talking about,
0: <laughs> um, follow me on Twitter. I'm just kidding. No, I, 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 <laughs> I, w- I will link to your Twitter. You don't, do not worry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, my social media presence is, is, is a little bleak. Um, but, um. So, and and let's see. So your question is, um, you know, how can people uh, learn learn a little bit more about about this space? Is that it? Is it
1: was your it question? was a big garbled question. You're right to to double check. <laughs> but yeah, I guess um, what's a good place for someone who wanted to? I mean, part of it is I, I I name dropped the whole taxonomy of different American housing styles, and we talked a lot about that. Where's a good place to start wrapping your head around how people think about spaces? And then I guess also, where would you direct them for some of these frontiers that you're working on? And by the way, we barely covered any of the stuff that you do. So let's just have you back on again Mm. soon.
0: (laughs) So over the last five to 10 years, um, I really do think the construction industry has recognized um, at least in North America, uh, a critical need uh, to understand and and share uh, uh, resources um, around low carbon, uh, low carbon construction. And what I really do um, believe is that Kate Simonon and her founding of the Carbon Leadership Forum has really served as the flagship uh, organization uh, for professionals um, to uh, see examples um, and to, to get information, see examples of, of successes um, and even some some challenges and and even failures uh, in the in the in the building industry, and really to work together uh, toward a, a low carbon and carbon negative future in in construction. Um, so I I would I would you know urge folks to um, first follow follow my work. Uh, so you know my work has been featured um, in the New York Times. I'm on uh, NPR, uh, and we do have a website uh, where we do publish uh, a lot of our work. Uh, but certainly, uh, key into the Carbon Leadership Forum if you're interested in learning more about sustainable architecture, um, especially as it as it uh, pertains to low carbon uh, low carbon construction.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Will.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been great. It was a lot
1: of fun. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Um, Give us a great rating and review on Apple podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed and have a lovely day.